Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzefa, and today we are talking about one of my favorite topics. We are talking about standardized tests. It's a weird favorite topic, I know, but I do like them. I enjoy them, and we're talking about probably of the standardized tests that exist out there, my favorite of all of them, which is the SAT. And it's, it's a particularly timely show because not too long ago, just a few months ago, back in March, the College Board decided to change the SAT. And it's kind of cool because now it's on a 1,600-point scale, just like it was back when I took it in high school. It was for a period of time out of 2,400. So now it's back to 1,600, which is kind of cool. And there's been a lot of other changes that have been made. And to talk about all this cool stuff, I brought a true expert onto the show, somebody from Magoosh, which if you haven't heard of Magoosh and you're trying to take any test or standardized test, man, you should really check out their website, magoosh.com. All the stuff will be in the show notes if you want to check it out after listening to the show. But I've brought on a real expert. His name is Chris Lele, and he is a GRE SAT curriculum manager. So Chris has been working in standardized test prep for the last 15 years, and he's been helping students with the SAT, ACT, and GRE. He's coached five students to a perfect SAT score, which is insane because the number of SAT scores, I just looked at the percentages the other day, now I'm blanking, but it's a it's a super, super small number. I can probably ask Chris, but I think it's in the couple hundred, if, if maybe even less per year out of however many people take it, which is, which is pretty insane that he's done that. And and so now we, he's also written all sorts of articles. He's got a cool blog post on the new SAT. So without further ado, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Awesome. And Chris went to UCLA. I live in Los Angeles. It's probably one of the most beautiful campuses, if not the most, I think, in the country. It's, it's so amazing. And I visited the campus the first time in 2006. Eight when I randomly when I was in my second year of law school we had a conference in in Los Angeles and I walked around and I was just blown away it's so pretty yeah it really is a gorgeous campus I mean I haven't been there for many years but I can still vividly remember the part where the library is and the long grass and just sitting there reading so it definitely brings back some nice memories about how beautiful it was and so where are you based now we're based up in Berkeley California so we're right next to another UC. Got it. Okay, excellent. So before we get into everything related to the SAT, you just tell us a little bit about Magoosh for anybody who's unfamiliar with the company. Yeah, so what we do is online SAT or online any prep, depending on your standardized test. But what we do is we give you an online course. So everything is right at your fingertips. You have you know full-length instructional videos. You have all these questions that have these video explanations. So if you miss a question, you get to press the play button and you'll hear a video of me going through, narrating the question, what to do, what not to do, that sort of thing. And then we have 
these like what we call our remote team or our community team. And these are tutors scattered throughout the world. But whenever you have a question, you can just type something out and they'll jump on there and help you out as soon as possible. So we, we're online learning, but we're never too far away. And so do you ever make in-house calls or do any people from Magoosh make in-house calls? No, we actually we don't, which I think separates us you know, from most of the test prep companies out there. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So, I mean, I do a combination myself of private tutoring as well as I'm in, you know, developing different online courses, which I put on an online learning platform called Udemy. So that's where that's where my SAT, ACT uh, courses are are right now. But I think it's it's such a powerful way to learn. And even even if you have, for example, like it sounds like what you guys do the the online tutoring. Man, I got to tell you, I was just talking about this to somebody the other day. When you when you have Skype tutoring, for example, I sometimes notice parents who are accustomed to a tutor coming to their house, which I do a lot, right? That's a big part of what I do, mm-hmm. but they're they're a little apprehensive about the idea. And I and I got I tell them I was like I have kids that I've worked with them in person and via Skype, and some of them they actually do prefer Skype because it allows them to be comfortable, relaxed. They can see everything using an online whiteboard. It's a very it's a it's a very nice interface. So I think it's really student preference, personal preference as to what works. But yeah, it's 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 such a great way to learn and it's really possible now with all the technology we have today. So you wrote this awesome art article on the new SAT. Can you just tell people Let's do, let's do a little overview. What are some of the mm-hmm. things that have changed on the new version of the SAT? Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, what, one thing that jumps out is that the math has increased what it tests before it tested more basic concepts that most people encounter around their freshman, sophomore year of high school. So they, they didn't want to kind of give an advantage to people who took higher level math already. But what made it tricky, the old SAT at least, is they made the questions very vague and you had to kind of discern a pattern. And it was, it was difficult for some, for some students. But what we have with the new SAT is more of a, a big final test for the math that you learned in high school all the way up to pre-calc. So not necessarily pre-calc and beyond, but that includes trigonometry, stuff like imaginary numbers. And that's a lot more than the old SAT. But again, if you haven't gotten to those classes, then it's kind of something you would have to learn on your own before you actually take the test. So that, that's a major difference on the math side. A uh, huge, huge difference. Uh, I don't know if you had a quick follow-up question there. No, no, no. I want you to keep going, keep going, keep, keep telling. Yeah. So an, another huge um, difference is the essay. The, the idea that before it was something you had to do, it was part of your writing score. And it was the very first thing you saw when you took the SAT. So for many students, you know, starting the SAT synonymous with writing this really stressful essay. Now that essay is optional. And if you do opt in to take it, you won't see it at the very end. This is when I say very end, this is like four hours after you, you know, sat and taken the rest of the test. And so that alone is a big difference. Um, now, 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 that, with, now, uh, now, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to ask with the, with the essay being optional, what do you recommend or what does Magoosh recommend as far as should students take it or should they not? Honestly, I would say it depends on the student, but if you are, if you want to go to a competitive school, it doesn't have to be Ivy league. It could be UC as well. You should definitely take that essay. 
because it can't hurt you in taking it. Again, it's given last, so it's not going to hurt your performance on the other sections. But depending on the school, some of them might suddenly decide to opt in, and you don't want to really go back and take the essay again. Another way of looking at it is that if you are competing against you know, another pool of students and they have taken the essay and they've done well and you haven't taken it, it's not probably going to be the big you know, differentiation between the two of you. We're not going to accept you because of this, but it might nudge them into accepting you. And you want to give yourself, of course, as much opportunity as possible to put your best foot forward. And so now with the new essay, with the old essay, I believe they had they they had two people judge it and they'd each give it a scaled score uh, between one and six, and that would be factored into your into your writing score. Now that's not the case, right? It doesn't affect the actual score, but it is just something to supplement what's going to universities. Is that correct? Yeah, that is exactly correct. It's not part of, as you said, now it is on, the SAT is out of sixteen hundred. It's not part of that score whatsoever. Right. So that is, and that's actually very similar to the IC, the independent school entrance exam. They do the exact same thing. They have an essay. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's optional, actually. I think you have to write it, but it's not part of the score. And it's sort of sent to schools to give another data point. So let, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the reading section and the, basically the general verbal section. Cause I know now you sent, you kind of have, you have a reading section and then you have a writing section, which to me is very similar to what you'll see on the ACT in their section where we're looking at grammar. Can we talk, can you talk a little bit about those two sections? Yeah. So what's interesting is they've actually lumped them together before they were separate sections out of 800. And that's part of the reason we've gone from 2400 back to 1600. They lumped the critical reading section, the one with the long passages together with the grammar based exercises. And so what we're getting now is a writing assessment that looks awfully a lot like the ACT grammar. You'll have a very long passage, maybe four or five paragraphs worth, and you're essentially editing it. You're asking questions about what should be changed. And so it's like you're taking somebody's essay and you're editing it, which is very different from the old SAT in which you just have these little standalone questions with a grammar mistake in them, which you have to identify. I see. And what would you, as far as tools out there, or even when you're working with kids, how do you help kids get really proficient at those sections? For example, do you just have them do a lot of practice sessions or are there particular tools that you recommend like IXL or other things? Yeah, what I do recommend is a combination of those approaches. You always want to drill the format. In this case, the format is these passages or these essays that you have to edit. But you need the grounding. You need those grammar fundamentals. And a lot of students don't have those. And I'm not talking about necessarily going through a 500-page grammar book and learning everything in there. There are a set of grammatical principles, maybe let's call them 15. I'm just kind of making that number off the top of my head, but it's nothing astronomical. About 15 different things that students have to learn in terms of grammar and style. And then they have to learn to apply those in the context of those essays that they're editing on the SCT. Got it. Oh, that, makes, that makes total sense. What about when we t- now let's talk about the reading section. So one thing that I've noticed is that they, at, at least it seems to be more current. The the passages that are being selected. What are some of the other? Have have you noticed the same thing? Or and what else have you noticed about the reading section? Yeah, so that's a good question. The reading section has changed, and what I've noticed is they are testing more. I 
idea-rich passages instead of style-rich passages. And what the old SAT did, and what I mean by that, is they'd take passages in which a person would write in a way that was, I guess, what we would call academic. It was a little bit harder to follow along sometimes because they would even use those big SAT words and students would struggle to get the point. Now, though, we've moved away from that kind of lofty style and the passages are more packed with ideas and concepts that the student has to kind of sift through as they read the passage. Got it. And would you say, for example, when you're working with kids on preparing for the reading section, what are the what are the number one things that you recommend as far as, okay, I want to get a whatever, a hundred point or whatever it is bump in my reading score. What's the regimen that you prescribe? Yeah, great question. So I'm actually coming up with a curriculum for a summer SAT class. And a lot of it is based on reading, not just any reading, but reading um, specific magazines in which the SAT is likely to take passages from. And it's not because I'm hoping that those passages will passages will actually show up on the test, but I want students to get used to that style of writing and the way that they package these relatively complex ideas. And the thing is, though, students are, who knows what they're reading actually in school. Oftentimes they are reading more literature stuff and not the Atlantic Monthly or even the New York New Yorker where you have these nonfiction short pieces discussing something in maybe psychology or economics or or even medicine. Now I tend to believe that man, I, I really do think that reading for me, it seems to be a little bit of a longer for for students I'm working with. It seems to be one of the things that takes a little longer to grow in. But but you may disagree, or you may have found uh, different results. Like what what are your take on it? What's your take on it as far as of the sections? Let's say we talk about math, we talk about grammar, we mm-hmm. talk about reading. Yeah, which one do you re- recommend? Like oh, if this is your weak area, we need a much longer ramp up time. I'd actually say it is reading, and it's for that very reason that you're going to struggle with the questions if you're struggling with the text, and that can be struggling to understand it or struggling to be able to focus on the material. And I think a lot of students can kind of read in little little batches, but their brain quickly gets tired because they're not used to reading for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, however long they need to focus on the test. Right. Okay, I've, uh, if... I'd like to switch it back to the math portion now. One one really interesting change is the addition of the no calculator section. What is what are your thoughts on the no calculator section? And as far like you know, w- yeah, one. I'm just curious to know: Do you think it's a good thing that they added that in? And number two, do you have any great tips for students who maybe are struggling or a little nervous about the no calculator section? Yeah, no, that's a great question. People don't really ask about the first one, and it's something that's really important. Why? Why would the SAT all of a sudden say, okay, well, you've been, we've been letting you use a calculator for well over a decade. Now we're going to switch back at least on one section. You know, it, it's hard to say why they're doing that, especially because we're living in a world in which you all have an iPhone or some, some kind of smartphone near you, which has a calculator on it. But I think one thing they may be getting at is is the ability to work with numbers, that number sense that kind of is lost when you can just punch it into a calculator. Again, this is speculation on my part, but it sounds like that's what they're getting at. Otherwise, there really is no good reason not to have the whole math section be calculator allowed. I mean, I actually, I, I 
echo those sentiments as far as number sense. I think it's so important. Okay, so one of the things that I do on this show, as in addition to providing tips on education, is I bring people on that have careers that tangentially involve math. And I can tell you I had a guy in video game design. I had a guy who's a data scientist. I had a guy on who works in construction. And many more. That's just a small sampling. They all talk about the importance of mental math and number sense for one thing, it, m- multiple things, but one thing in particular that unites all of them, and that is gut checks. So essentially, if you're overly reliant on a calculator when whatever it is you're doing, you're going you're gonna to type stuff in blindly. And if you may have typed things in incorrectly, which is very easy to do, well, you're not really going to have a good idea that you've done so. And that can be a huge problem. So I think that I mean, I personally think it's great. I have no idea specifically why they did it, but I'm I'm super thrilled because I'm always emphasizing to my kids how important it is to get lightning fast uh, with those multiplication, uh, you know, pieces. But so now, what? Now we have this section on what are your tips or what are you? How have you changed the way you teach to account for this no calculator section? Yeah, it's it's huge that you have to start working on your own calculator, your mental calculator, and drilling with my students having them, you know, what's four to the third power? And they just have to become really quick at it. And I don't want them to just be parrots, but I want them to kind of understand how four to the third is connected to three to the third. And what happens when you, you know, you say three to the fourth, you're adding another number. So they they have a a good feel for numbers and they are also drilling them so that they can become fast. Um, We're, you know, as much as as possible. I, I know that students can get easily bored of this, but I have them also go online and it's really easy. You can just look in Google and say mental math games and, and something for free will come up. And as long as they're not astronomical numbers, since the USAT isn't testing that, it's testing more stuff like 14 times nine. But as long as you can find sites like that, that's perfect to get your mental calculator into shape. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know if you have one or two that you recommend. That would be great. I, I just came across, I mean, there's a few different ones that I like to use, but there's one that I just came across because I know some of my kids, especially the younger ones that I work with, they like to write the numbers on the screens is quick math is really cool. But is there any apps or anything that you think are particularly engaging? Well, yeah, we're actually coming out with a Magirish mental math app. It is not out right now, but it's right around the corner. So I'm very excited about that. And we've come up with ways to make it engaging and give people a lot of information on how to do mathematics quickly. Um, But besides that one, yeah, besides that one, there isn't one that I can think of, but definitely after this, I'm going to go out there and find a couple that I really like, so that way I can recommend them in addition to the Magoosh one. Awesome. I mean, I've been I've been following Magoosh for a long time, so I have to believe anything you guys make is going to be solid. Because I know you guys do a great job of having a lot of engaging content in the blog, everywhere, uh, everything that you do. So cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, yeah, we'll just shoot me an email as soon as it's out. I'll definitely check it out, and I'll recommend it too once I, once I get a chance to review it. Awesome. Great. So, so let's now – so. If I could get before we change topics, because I want to talk about something I think that is really, really important, and that is, people ask this, ask me this all the time, wondering, okay, man, what's the real relevance? Do standardized tests really predict how you'll do in college, law school, whatever it may be? And we're going to get to that in one second. But just as a final takeaway, what is, what would you say? You can kind of take it how you want. Either the the number one or number two mistakes that you see people make during preparation, or alternatively your top one or two pieces of advice that anybody out there preparing should absolutely follow in order to ensure that they, they get the, the best they can. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to kind of merge those together with with what my answer here is. Uh, one of the mistakes people make is not to use the official questions and to use questions that are created by third-party publishers. Uh, even Magoosh, we're a third-party publisher, and, and you know, I obviously recommend us, and I recommend other third-party publishers. But no matter what, their main source of practice questions should always be those released for the SAT by the College Board. And right now, the College Board has a book, the official SAT study guide, that has four practice tests in there, as well as a lot of other helpful practice questions. And so that's definitely a number one. And, part, and in terms of advice, making sure you take a test at the very beginning, an official test, because that's going to give you a baseline. I think students go in there and think, huh, I'm not going to do well on this test. It seems so overwhelming. I'm just going to study a little bit here, a little bit there. And they never really have a sense of where they're starting. Because once you have that baseline, then you know, hey, this is what I have to do to get to my goal. It could be a 100-point improvement. It could be 200-point improvement. But at least you can come up with goals and sub-goals to help you get there. Right. Awesome. Those are excellent (laughs) tips. And I mean, I definitely, that's the only, I so agree with what you said the first time about using the official questions. I think that's super important. It's a little tricky now because the SAT just came out. So there's no longer a book of 10 practice test you got four and it's something but it's just it's just you know the con the amount of content's not out yet it will be oh last question before we move on if now with the new sat and the current act uh-huh. and students are choosing or maybe they're maybe taking both or choosing one or the other does this change in any way what you might recommend or do you still suggest students take one the other both what's your take yeah this is interesting because i i've you know i've disagreed with some people over this actually it's kind of this uh contentious question, but I think that students should take both tests around the same time because the skills that you're studying for are almost identical for each test. I mean, the math section differs ever so slightly in what the range of what they test and that the way they ask questions, the reading section, some of the passages might be a little bit more complex on, on the SAT, but this, these are all, you know, tiny nuances. So my, my thinking is if you're studying and prepping for a test, why take six months off from it and then take that ex- almost exact same test again? Instead, maybe space them a month apart so your brain still retains that material. So maybe you'll take two weeks off after you take the SAT. And then you spend two to three weeks re-prepping or prepping for the ACT. And you won't have to spend as nearly as much time as if you took six months off. And now you have to prep for either the SAT or ACT all over again. All right. Excellent. Great answer. All right. Now let's shift the focus to the well, we could call it the predictive value of these tests. So what is your take? Do you, you know, what, how do you think performance on a standardized test relates to career, college success, career success, so on and so forth? Well, historically, it seems to do pretty well. And, and it depends on whom you ask, though. I mean, studies that are anti-test prep will come up with statistics that show that there isn't a strong correlation. And those that are more pro-test, prep will show a stronger correlation with, you know, undergraduate GPA and SAT scores, for instance. Uh, so the, the bottom line, though, is there is a connection. I think a lot of people, though, can agree that it's not necessarily the best way, the old SAT. Maybe the new SAT is better, maybe not, but there, there is no perfect test, but it would be interesting if they, you know, over the next couple of decades, if they could just keep running tests and doing more experiments to figure out what is it, what kind of question, what kind of test do we need to construct so that we can best predict college success. And maybe we're close to it. Maybe that's what the new SAT or even the old SAT was able to do. It's hard to say, but that 
leads me almost to my next thing that college doing well in college isn't only about doing well on a test. So of the tests that you teach, so you teach ACT, you also teach, I saw GRE, maybe you teach other tests too, I don't know, but is there a test of the standardized test which you feel, for whatever its purpose, has done a really great job as far as selecting candidates for whatever particular school they're applying to? Wow, yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's really hard to answer that, I think. You know, you want to say, oh, this test is very similar to what students learn there in school, but then... You read stuff, for instance, about the LSAT. You think, oh, they test logic. But what you actually do in law school is very different from what you're doing on on the LSAT. Even the GMAT, which is business school, which you think, oh, it's very business contenty. It's closer to an IQ test. It's almost like a combination between like business concepts in the back and an IQ test. And how does well does that really mesh with business school? Not really that well, especially because you're you know you're exercising these soft skills about how to network with people, you know, make contacts, etc. It's not really about how well you can, you know, quickly pick up on that there's a isosceles triangle embedded in the circle. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really match up too well. But at the same time, you're you're selecting for a pool of very bright individuals, at least logically and mathematically. And so instead of having just any old people network in your school, you're having those who have done really well on these grueling, difficult tests. Fair enough. I think that, I think that's I think that's true, and it is it is really tough. I know that people talk about this with you know with the SAT, with the LSAT, all these different tests, and I don't know. I think it's an interesting question to ponder, but I also do recognize that well, it's the rules of the game right now, anyways, and and that's the way it is. So, if you do want to get into one of these programs or pursue one of these career paths or whatever it is, we've got play by the game. We gotta try to do our best on these tests, and I don't think it's a it's. I think it's a great mental exercise regardless. So I think that the, pr- the preparation process will will train you in it, whether it's the specific material or even in just developing your willpower muscle and your ability to study and focus. So I think, I think, I think there's a lot of positive things to be taken from the entire process. So Chris, I want to thank you yeah. so much for, for joining us today. This was so much fun for me and I know you have a really busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. And what is the name? Do you, can you give the name of the app, the mental math app that's going to come out or is that secret? It's yeah, we haven't, that we haven't finalized yet, but, but you know, Magoosh Mental Math app, something very close to that, I'm sure. <laughs> all right, all right, perfect. And if anybody wants to reach out to you directly, how can they do that? Yeah, they can connect, uh, connect or contact me directly at chris at magoosh dot com, and they can also follow me on Twitter, where I'm Chris Magoosh. So. <laughs> So, so just in case you're wondering how to spell it, it's M-A-G-O-O-S-H. But all the stuff will be in the show notes so you can reach out to Chris directly. I'll put a uh, link in as well to Chris's article on the new SAT on the Magoosh blog so you guys can check that out if you if you are so inclined. So again, this summer we got new episodes dropping every single day. So check back. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or comments from me, feel free to email me at Huzefa at Scalar Learning. Would absolutely love to hear from all of you guys. Thank you so much for joining. I'll see you all next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skill of learning.